Hey, you, over here. Come join us for a conversation. Yeah, you, over here. <laughs> Come join Sean and me, Levon. We're, uh, we're going to be talking about good stuff today. Um, how you doing, Sean? How's everything going? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. I've been watching this show. It just it has nothing to do with our uh, episode today, but it's in front of my face. I've been watching this show. It's on Apple, Apple, Apple TV called For All Mankind. It's so good. And what's the premise of for all mankind? It's if the uh, if the Russians had landed on the moon first. Interesting. Yeah. So it's revisionist history. Revisionist history. This is the so this is the first opening minute of our podcast today. This is me talking about how the Russians uh, if they landed on the moon. Anyway, though, we are not going to be talking about that. Although this sounds really cool, and maybe we should talk about that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not. talk about liberal elites. And the liberal elitism, or elitism, of the liberal variety. Before we get into today, today's uh, subject, there were two mass shootings uh, the last week here. It's maybe America is back to normal. Yeah, I I think that's actually a really good way to put it. And I I heard somebody talking about that today in terms of everybody's looking back or everybody's looking forward to getting back to normal, uh, but. I think many of us forgot that normal in America was regular mass shootings. And now not only do we have to deal with people running around with AK shooting each other, but uh, there's also more hate running through our veins than there has been for a long time. And so a mass shooting in Georgia that was really targeted towards the Asian community killed, I think it was six people total and five of those uh, of Asian descent just, you know, extremely sad. And then here uh, in the last 48 hours, a, a mass shooting in Colorado, uh, where I think it was upwards to 10 people uh, that were killed in a supermarket. And it, it's just, it's a telling story of America when this is getting back to normal. And how many of us didn't really think about that as part of the reality? Indeed. Indeed, yeah, here we are in a rush to go back to the way things were. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are being, you know, p- kids, uh, people were being killed in mass murders nearly every single day. Yeah. Nearly every single day. Yeah, it really is a daily occurrence pre-pandemic, and, and now we're headed back that direction as we're starting to come out of it. It's it's pretty scary. And the reality yeah. is that we, we do this, the same crap right like it's it's the same party lines it's the same faux reaction uh from both sides and likely there will be no real change in any of the policies that lead to this behavior being part of american society yeah and that will kind of go into our uh uh, really kind of maybe into our talking points today so yeah anything else happened the last week um, you know, other other topics that I think came up this week that I found somewhat interesting. Um, AstraZeneca is still having trouble getting approval in the United States. Uh, looks like maybe they they tried to fudge some numbers or something. Uh, it's not really clear exactly why that's being held up, but you know, looks like people feel like they're using old data or or something along those lines. So, what was supposed to be the most widely spread vaccine in the world uh, has definitely run into some troubles. Um, not just this week in the U.S., but last week or, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago now, uh, they actually pulled it from uh, 
multiple places in the, in Europe because of some fears around the vaccine that that don't seem to be legitimate fears, but you know, there's just lots of questions around that vaccine and and it's worrisome because it was supposed to be the vaccine that was really focused on uh, a lot of a lot of the world that uh, we don't think about, right? Africa um, and other kind of developing nations. So uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll they'll get that in line and we'll have uh, that vaccine available as well. But a little bit concerning. Yes, never a good thing when you don't have public trust in medicine. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because it seems like it seems like the vaccine itself is actually probably as effective, at least as to Johnson and Johnson, and and maybe between Johnson and Johnson and and our other two uh, vaccines. But uh, the fact is, there's been enough questions about its production and kind of its rollout and how they're how they're presenting the information that I, I do think that we'll see more and more distrust develop. And again, when you're looking at the vaccine that was supposed to be the most widely distributed, that is a real concern about how well do we actually do in vaccinating the rest of the world, which has a direct impact on us. Uh, because if we're not vaccinating the rest of the world, we will have more variants. Uh, and ultimately, we'll see this pandemic extended, uh, and maybe not in ways that greatly impact the, the trajectory of, of the rest of the world. And I think that uh, is the concern. Yep. Yep. Well, at least one of the things I will contribute to this week's roundup, uh, since it seems like I didn't really have anything, even though there's been a lot of news, <laughs> is that Pfizer is working on a single pill use uh, for ther- therapeutic. And it's in phase one trials filled with antibodies. So that is promising. There's therapeutics on the way and that will hopefully uh, contribute to the fight against this virus. That will probably be, as, as you said, I think, you know, this is probably, it's here to stay. It's here to stay. So we got to have therapeutics, of course, vaccines, but therapeutics are going to have to be widely available as well since it's here to stay. It's the accepted, you know, reality that we have to be in. Yeah, I think especially as we see more and more variants, and if if we're not uh, able to to really impact um, the spread in developing countries, then then we're definitely going to look at a, a virus that that stays healthy and kind of circulates the globe, much like the the flu, um, where we have new vac or new strains of the flu on a regular basis, and we're kind of playing catch up on the regular in terms of those vaccinations. This this really seems to be headed in that direction, unless something major changes. And that's where I actually agree. So uh, with uh, when people say it's just like the flu (laughs) from the understanding that I have on it, it is kind of like that in a sense, because it's around, there'll be new strains and we will have to vaccinate people and get your COVID shot every single year. Yeah. The scary part of that is it's much deadlier than the flu. Right. And we know how many people die on a regular basis from the flu. Um, So Uh, to think that we now get to deal with both of those things, it, it's pretty scary. But, you know, maybe people will actually start to to do things like mask up uh, during flu season and and kind of enact some of the lessons that we've learned through this process, uh, because this is one of the lowest flu seasons on record. And that's largely because we we've all actually done what they tell us to do, you know, wash our hands, which who knew all of us weren't doing that regularly, even though we pretend like we do at least um and and now 
masking is so regular that I, I am still curious to see how much of that will do after things kind of clear up and get back to pseudo normal. Yeah. Pseudo normal is the good way to put it. And also not to mention in the 1918 pandemic, 624,000 people died in the United States. We're approaching that. We are approaching that 50 million worldwide granted, but yeah, we're, we're approaching that. Uh, but also the population of the United States was way smaller then, but still nonetheless, we also were a much less advanced society then. It, yeah. The fact is that, that we should have been doing these simple actions from the beginning. And, and we had an administration that just politicized something that, that never should have been politicized. And so we now have a group of people who think that to prove their their party fidelity, they have to tell people to fuck off when it comes to wearing a mask. And, you know, it it's not about party. It's not about politics. It's about saving people's lives. Yeah. And not to mention, back in 1918, they actually had a little bit more compliance with go- the government, not mandates, but government guidelines back then. Yeah, people actually believed that the government was there to help them. Exactly. Even though Woodrow Wilson never really said anything about the pandemic itself, since he was so rah-rah about the war and post-war. But the fact is that back then, there was a lot more compliance and and awareness of how to stop the spread of the flu back then, which is just so funny because, like you're saying, we were much more under underdeveloped then than we are now, and yet we can't get a simple concept like this around our head. But back in 1918, we did. And even then, still a lot of people died, but nonetheless. Okay. Let's talk about our topic of the day. Liberal elitism. Uh, So let's put this together. What does that mean? We have, we've heard that throughout. We mostly hear that on the, on the, uh, you know, on the right, but today here we are, we're going at, we're going after libs a little bit today. Yeah. Let's go after some libs today. You know, we're always talking about the GOP and right, right, rightfully so. I, I think we've talked a lot about conservatives, which, you know, that that is the GOP, the Republican party and, uh, the Trumpers or the Trumpists. Uh, I'm not sure what we want to call them there. However, I, I do think that it's only fair to have a conversation about liberal elitism and to admit that even though it is a, a talking point of the right and maybe a little overplayed by them, it is an issue that uh, progressives need to be looking at in terms of uh, why does it play so well for the right? And I, I think that there are some legitimate statements that come out uh, about liberal elites. But Leblon, maybe you uh, should define what we're talking about when we're talking about liberal elitists. I mean, there's so many different routes you could take this, really. So we could we could go over the uh, how the how conservatives may characterize liberal elites, and that is this high class of people who know nothing about the working man and the struggles of the working man. And of course, the conservatives this is all just you know this is all just BS to them anyway. But the way they characterize it to win over the the working you know white working class, it works. Um, the way they characterize the liberal elitism. But nonetheless, you could take that, you could take the picture they paint there that 
were these coastal elites that uh, were in these high castles. And by no means am I part of the liberal elite. I mean, I'm just saying that it's part of this upper crust of society that the college graduates are, you know, dictating the lives of, of the working people. So that's, that's one way you could put it. I think in the context of what we're speaking and the way I kind of, kind of see it is not too far away from that, honestly, is that there is this misunderstanding of the working class uh, by, by elites in general, right? Not just liberal, but sticking to liberal elitism. There's also just this kind of thing that, you know, pops up of like speaking for people of color, uh, kind of the white savior complex that I think that exists in liberal elitism. So I think that that's another, another way we could take this as well. And, you know, like kind of, kind of like I was just saying, you know, Democrats used to be the party of the working class, right? And now it's shifted to this, what I, I and I could understand it, I could see it, is is a party of elites. It was a party of the rich. And that has taken course over the last 30 years. And you see it with uh, with some of, the, some of the talking points that come out of the, you know, the DNC of, you know, you can even take Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables, right? You can take that as an example. And they use that as cannon fodder to, you know, and you even see it right now the, that the Republican Party is trying to say that we're the party of the working class. We all know that's bullshit, of course. But they, they have they see that opportunity to where they could take that. So I think that it's the liberal elitism. There are there are truths and then there's also also cannon fodder to it. Yeah, I mean, I think you give a pretty wide net there. And, you know, when I hear liberal elite. When I think of the right, I think of all the talking points around George Soros uh, and the Clintons and kind of this vast network of conspiracies related to how they're manipulating the world and, and trying to, to take over, right? Like, uh, But George Soros seems to be like the pinnacle for the uh, Republican Party of liberal elitism, this rich white guy that dumps millions of dollars into uh, the Democratic Party. They don't talk about their own issues with like the Koch brothers and and all of that, right? Um, but it that that's what I picture when I when I hear their voices is is those kind of images that they they print. But the truth is, Hillary Clinton is the perfect example of liberal elitism. She talked down to people. She acted as if her ideas um, were better than anyone else's. She didn't listen. She uh, attacked Bernie Sanders and the grassroots movement that was behind him and completely alienated a huge swath of her own party, not to mention pushing away the, the working class right into the greedy little palms of Trump. And uh, that really came down to this kind of attitude of, and, and I, I think that it really, for me, it's about academic elitism, right? The, the Democratic Party seems to think that they have, well, that they have the IQ uh, that matters, that it's the college educated individuals that are voting for them. And, you know, so if you don't vote for them, that means you're an idiot. Uh, and they begin to talk as if that's that's a proud talking point for them instead of recognizing one that just because you don't have a college degree doesn't mean you're an idiot and two 
the working class is made up of those individuals and you used to be the labor party right i mean that that's how the democratic party survived forever uh, and now you are alienating uh the part of the party that that really was your bread and butter for a very long time i i think what's scary is i see i see the party establishment doing the same thing with people of color now right talking to the BIPOC community as if they have all the answers for them, like you were saying, right? This, this white savior complex. And, and now we're going to provide the voice of the BIPOC community. And, um, and I see the, the same kind of march towards marginalization uh, that we had with the working class in terms of, of that process as well. Yeah, no doubt. And so when we make that, you know, characterization when it comes to the uh, educated, you know, class. And I, I, you know, I don't mean it in the sense of, I'm not trying to alienate those folks because they are part of the working class. Those people that are in, you know, thousands of, you know, nearly millions of dollars in student loan debt. Right. That's not what I mean by the college educated. Right. I mean, I'm talking, you know, when we were talking about Harvard, Yale, all that stuff. Right. And the thing, that's actually something I want to say as well. Last week, I should have said something we should have can, we should cancel the student loan debt anyway. <laughs> something I should have brought up last week. Anyway, yeah, so that's, yeah, where is I, where am I going with this? I have no idea, bro. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having a hard time with this one. This was your topic, bro. You know, it's, it is one of those things, I see it, and... And I see how it's used as a talking point against actual real, real things we couldn't be talking about, right? I assumed that this was going to be a really hard topic because if we want to get into like the truth around liberal elitism, we have to take a look at ourselves too. That's right. And what I was saying the, we <laughs> I was catching the, myself. There was a, yeah. the real truth is that if we want to talk about this, we have to talk about the fact that you know over the summer there were riots in the street, righteous riots in the streets. And those individuals took over police stations. Those individuals destroyed property. And a lot of us on the left made statements about our respect for that. <laughs> Not our respect necessarily for the destruction of property, but our respect for the righteous anger that led to that. And if we want to talk about liberal elitism, we can rationalize and justify that social movements happen through violence and anger and rioting a lot. But we neglect to have the conversation about whether we believe it is righteous or not. Individuals that stormed the Capitol thought that that was righteous. Were they acting on a big lie? Yeah, they were. But I think that if you talk to a good portion of those people, they truly fucking believed that they were doing the right thing, that they were uprising for the right thing, that their country was being taken over through an illegal process. And so if we're going to talk about liberal elitism, we, we have to talk about the fact that whether it's right or wrong, we can't always assume our righteousness, right? And we can't always just turn off what other people believe is their own righteousness. And, and we do that a lot. We just, we just tune it out. We turn it off and we refuse to listen to it. And, and that is what leads to the division in our society is this, this immense void 
of the ability to listen to or understand the other side. It's the same thing when we talk about defund the police, right? Like, we get it as progressives. We don't hear that people want to get rid of the police. That's not what rings in our ears. And so we think that uh, the righteous movement is provide the services that actually can impact those people's lives. What's really the core issue? And the core issue is likely mental health or drug abuse or, or other unstabilizing issues going on in that person's life. But what the right hears is that we're going to take away a safety net for them. Yeah, is that safety net biased towards white people? Meaning actually biased towards people of color, right? But in favor of white people? Absolutely. It is. Or we see it that way. But they're not... I don't think the majority of people that are hearing defund the police is take away the police actually hear it as there are other options, right? They're, they just fear what that means. <laughs> and And if we don't have a conversation around that, then what does that lead to, right? And and for me, I think liberal elitism is, is in all of that, right? That unwillingness to hear others. So there's, there's also conservative elitism then too, because they're doing the same fucking thing. We're all not listening because we're all righteous in our own mind. All right, everybody, that was the show for today. No, <laughs> no very... <laughs> Very well said, Sean. Very well said. Uh, so, and and how really it is important in what you say to one another too. It's what people. It's how people feel about what you're saying. I think. You know, it's not necessarily what you say because what you're saying is 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 righteous in what you're saying, right, in your mind. But someone else may hear it differently. And I think that even extends to on the left as well when it comes to liberal elitism that I think that maybe uh, some white liberals don't understand to check their own privilege at the same time as well. They can say, yes, I have white privilege. Yes, I do. But do you really know what that means? You know, have you thought about what that means and how your actions and what you say may be a counteraction to people, people of color in their, in their fight for justice. So like you said, it's, it's it's about learning it's about listening it's about being open to really to criticism and that's the hardest thing especially when you're when you're saying like you know i'm not you know i'm not a racist person i'm not a racist person i i recognize my white privilege and then someone calls you out on something like hey can't you see that how that's counterintuitive to the fight and then it's like whoa i you know first of all i mean i feel like i'd be like whoa and take that into account and try and understand why that may be but some people may not. Yeah, I actually, I, I think that the conversation around liberal elitism and white privilege is, is actually really uh, on the money. It just just hearing you kind of talk through that, it, it liberal elitism really is uh, playing into privilege, right? It's the white guy in the room that's willing to speak up over all the other voices first, um, like his opinion is the most important. And you know, I, I'm that guy a lot of times. Um, and it's not that I intend to be that guy, but I've been socialized to be that guy, right? Like I've, I've had that privilege my whole life. And, and so, uh, I think 
in terms of how do we address liberal elitism, we shut up and start to listen uh, to folks and, and actually try to hear them. And I, I think that's a really, uh, it's a really astute point, Levon, because I Thank I have not really uh, connected those two dots, but I, I think it's really true uh, because I definitely, when, when I envision a liberal elite, especially in the Seattle area, it, it's definitely uh, somebody that's white and often male. However, in Seattle, there's, there's a lot of female uh, liberal elites as well, but yeah, it's the white people. Definitely. <laughs> in the uh, arts industry and such. No, I shouldn't brush people with a broad stroke. No pun intended, but still. Yeah. And that actually extends like you're saying too, to people who have other political differences than us and listen to why they feel that way as well. And not just shut them out and saying you're, you know, dirty hillbilly or whatever, you know, like, like the whole thing with Eastern Washington, we could take, for example, here, how they want to break off and be their own, be their own state of what they call it, uh, liberty. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous to us. Of course it's really ridiculous to me. And it makes no sense at all in, in any sort of calculation economically or politically. Right. But there's that sediment there. And, and, I think it's it's important even on 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 the political side of things to listen to why do you feel that why why do you feel that liberty should be its own state broken off from Western Washington as well, and how yeah. is that going to impact your neighbors too, your neighbors who may be of color, you know, in the, in those areas too. Yeah, but I think we we too easily write that off as you know people just being dumb right or being ridiculous um, and. The, the truth is that if you put yourself in Eastern Washington and you look at the state that you live in being driven by one county in the state, there is a, a lot of frustration around, you know what, you, you want there to be a $15 minimum wage. That might work in Seattle, but that's not going to work in, in Podunk Quincy, right? Not that, not that I actually believe that argument, but I think it's worth a conversation to acknowledge that you're right. Not everything that's right for a a major urban area is going to be right for rural America. That just doesn't make sense. Uh, And, and so if we're not willing to have those conversations or accept that there are times where the, the rural community uh, might have a point and we just play them off as the dumb hillbilly, uh, that is the essence of, of elitism, right? And and that is a significant problem. And it's why we continue as a progressive party to push away uh, working class Americans, especially in rural areas. And do you think there is that uh, kind of psychological thing, you know, like what we said, like we, we characterize the liberal elites more as white, white people. Do you think I think we characterize that... all elites as white people, right? I mean, if we get if we get <laughs> down to it, that is right. That is who the elites are, right? right. That, that's who holds power. That's who leverages their kind of expectations right. of societal norms over everyone. That's who's in power, right? So, do you think even you know, as we were talking on the other side of things, how how with liberal elitism doesn't you know, there's that misunderstanding of of how that may affect you know, or how. How yes, you, you recognize that there's you know white privilege and everything like that, but you're not open open to criticism of how you could benefit in in helping people of color. Do you think flipping over to like the hillbilly thing? Do you think there's like kind of that concept of 
that it's pushing down other white people. So, so it's like this other thing of like, not, I'm not saying reverse racism, but like I have to be the top and those white people are terrible, but I'm the good white person. Do you think there's that sort of, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly identity politics built into this, right. Uh, Especially around education levels. And, you know, I think, I think labeling theory to fall back on a, on a sociological theory, right. We, you know, tend to follow labels. And once we've labeled ourselves or someone else has labeled us, uh, we tend to try to find individuals with like labels. And so you get a college degree, you lend yourself towards the democratic party, right? That's just labeled on you. I, I, I think some of those things are, are identity politics and, and I think that parties do a really good job of, of latching on to uh, identity. However, I, I think there's real differences between between those individuals, right? Somebody that has a college degree uh, is, is likely not going to be driving the tractor on a farm, right? Not to say that you can't do that and that there aren't those people because there are those people, but that just doesn't tend to be the majority, you get a college degree, you tend to move to an urban area and you tend to work in some corporate environment of some kind. And and that's going to push you into, again, another identity, which is being a part of a big city, right? And and yes, other factors play into that. You get to see more diversity and under, you know hear more voices and all those kind of things than if you stay in rural America. But I, I think that the real issues come up between what life is like in a city versus what life is like in a small town. Uh, And so, yeah, we're separated by that and the elites are fine with that, right? George Soros and the Koch brothers are not very far apart in terms of what they want out of society. One agrees that gay people should be, have the right to marry. Exactly. They'll play, they'll play social issues to create divide when really what matters, and this is a theme within this podcast, but what really matters is don't regulate the marketplace so that I can continue to fuck you over and accumulate as much wealth as possible, right? Trickle-down economics does not work. And that's what they they continue to play this kind of idea of it's okay for us just to get filthy rich. Everybody else has an opportunity to. No, we don't because you own so much of the wealth that you are going to accumulate more of it. Like that, that's just the way it works. And that, that's what ultimately matters. That's where the elites maintain their power is by continuing to separate, conquer and divide. Oh yeah. And they love it when they see the Republican party go in there and and say, see the rule working people are the poor people and we're going to help them. And here's all these rich people live in the cities. When in, you know, actuality, it's like, yes, there is some truth that it's it's hard to live in the big city. I mean, it's it's really expensive, especially in on, on the West Coast, right? But there are plenty of working class people on the outskirts of these cities. But they but they prey upon that, right? Even you know Democrats do too. But they're able to easily prey upon that. And like you said, the elites love that. Okay, yeah, go in there, uh, talk about how how the you know the rural uh, working classes, you know. you're going to help them we all know this bs of course yeah and the truth is that the poorest among us live in in urban areas right like the mass majority of 
homeless individuals in this country uh, live in, in urban areas uh, be, because that's where the the richest pool of resources exists. Where the opportunity is. Those areas. Yeah. And, and so it's not really a divide of, of rich and poor among rural and urban areas. The working class is in both of those areas, but it's easily divided, right? And and separated, and we get into our camps, and it's it's party over everything else, and, and plays into a lot of the themes that we've talked about throughout this podcast. Right, and so when you see that, like kind of back back to what you're talking about with the you know fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, kind of going on that example, is you know somebody liberal elite, right? We'll we'll talk down to somebody like, ha, ah, you idiot! Like I can't believe you would think that, you know, uh, a fifteen dollar dollar an hour minimum wage wouldn't be good for everybody. How dare you? You're an idiot. And then then Jim runs back and says, see, I called him a fucking idiot. You know, <laughs> congratulations, you are you know shouting down to the working class. Congratulations. Yeah, shouting down to somebody else who's struggling in the world just just to just to make it paycheck to paycheck, right? And that uh, I think that's that's the part that that we all kind of forget about is that most most americans are are living paycheck to paycheck and just getting by and and yeah there are real differences but between us but i i think that we get so lost in believing that we have the right answer that we refuse to remember that compromise is what built the richest nation in the world and greed and slavery and stealing people's land like let's not forget all of that but uh, i do believe that our politics early was more based on listening and compromise now i i also you know i i've caught myself having this conversation multiple times and i i think i have to call myself out on it a little bit in terms of you know i, I talk about kind of this old statesmanship and i i think that where we didn't cuss and swear at each other and have these huge divides. The compromise wasn't as extreme as what we're talking about having to make nowadays, right? Like um, these were two rich guys sitting in the halls of Congress having a conversation about compromise. And, and it really had the divide was just not as as large. And so to to ignore the fact that some of these divides are pretty huge. Right. And some of these topics are, are no longer compromisable i'm not even sure that's a word um but you know having a racist policy back in the 1800s was compromisable right like we yeah we can compromise on that why not right it is what it is nowadays we we shouldn't have that compromise and i think that plays into some of this even from a liberal elite perspective this idea of i'm no longer willing to compromise on the topic of racism, it does shut people down. And, and I do think it's the right stance to take. And, and so it's not fair. The comparison's not always fair uh, because the times are, are so different. But I still think that we have to do a better job of at least hearing each other. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. That is the big thing. We should not be compromising on anything discriminatory towards anyone. Well, except maybe Nazis and fascists. Just Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We'll compromise it. You know? Yeah, exactly. We don't go backwards on, on those issues. No, but I think it is important though to, it kind of like what we were talking about last week is 
to educate, right? To listen and to educate. And it's not like force feeding people, right? What you believe. It's just about having that conversation, like you said. Kind of the same things, kind of the same through line here uh, as, of, as of last week, having the conversation. Yeah, well, I, th- I think a lot of it comes down to to getting to a point where we, we're not automatically assuming the worst of everyone and, and we're willing to believe that people have an opportunity to better themselves, right? That that was part of that conversation last week. And, and I really, I believe that we still have to be uh, in that place where we believe that people can better themselves. Uh, and when it comes to issues around race, all the isms, right? Uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, all, all those kind of things, or heterosexism. I, I just, I really think that we, we can't compromise, but that does not mean that, that we have to assume that just because your stance is that today, that is who you forever will be. Because, like I said uh, before, and I, I am sure I will say it again, if that's the truth, then we should all just fucking give up. Like, just fuck it. And, and we should... We should just separate the country and, you know, Choose allow side, whoever the fuck wants to secede to secede and create our own individual little pockets of craziness. Choose a side, hunker down. Yeah. You know, we can have one country that runs on douche coin and we can have another country that's <laughs> running on Bitcoin and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And in the end, you never know the lives that you can, that you can change by having that having that initial conversation about things, about serious things, you never know what minds you may affect and hearts you may change. I think that w- that's what I encourage everybody to do is have a conversation, even if it's people that you know you're going to disagree with. You never know where that could lead and the commonalities that may come out. Yeah, and I really encourage people to, to think about why we chose to name this podcast Trickle Up Politics and to recognize that we we have to continue to work to understand and appreciate and prop up those at at the bottom of our society right and i'm i want to air quote the bottom of our society um i I think people understand what i mean there that it you know these aren't like bottom dwellers but uh the the most kind of the the folks who have been marginalized and left behind in our society are the people that we really need to prop up if we want to make ourselves better and identity politics uh, acting as if we we have the answers for all things none of that is going to help us get to a point where we are really impacting society in real ways right in ways that impact mass amounts of us not just one percent righto well with that let's wrap up wrap down another good conversation yet again anyway i think i think we got to turn it over to sean i'm going to put you on the spotlight so the reference that you just made about five minutes ago the douche coin reference that's me just flipping shit to to steven and uh this this doge coin uh concept that's floating around with the millennial folk I, I assume that it's a millennial folk kind of thing. I didn't know about it, so <laughs> I'm I'm not in the millennial crowd anymore. I guess turn thirty and that's it. You're you're like the super old millennial. Steven's like the the young millennial. You guys have you have the millennials bracketed. <laughs> 
Is this the Gen Z thing though? Like, isn't there, or or is no? He is the later millennial. I think we have that. Yeah, I don't think right. I don't think he's, no, he's really not Gen Z. That's no. Yeah, that's right. We should do a podcast on that too. <laughs> anyway. No, we really shouldn't. <laughs> we really shouldn't. Although I I I still love uh, watching people like blaming spring breakers like they're fucking millennials and then you see like millennials responding like that's not us like yeah, we're bro, all fucking man, out 30. of college man <laughs> come on yeah. I, i'm about as you know it's pretty i had a nice quiet evening on a saturday night how dare you you're ruining my saturday night now blaming that blaming that shit on me <laughs> yeah no i I do find that pretty funny because millennials seem to be like the easy target for some reason. So maybe we should do a podcast on that. No, <laughs> nobody wants to listen to somebody talking about generational bullshit. Like, okay. who's a who's a millennial and who's a zennial and who's no, no, Gen no, no. X and who's Gen no, it's Z not that. And... It's not that. It's what you just said. Millennials are easy target and oh, well, scapegoat. That, that does seem they that generation does seem to be a scapegoat, and I think. You know, a lot of that comes down to people not understanding technology. This is my theory, at least. People not understanding technology and, like, uh, you know, so they're they're angry that they aren't up on what's actually happening technology-wise in the world. And so their anger comes out at millennials because those little fuckers actually understand it. So fuck off. You're stealing my job. Like, you're evildoers. That's my, that's my philosophy. Theory, not philosophy. Hypothesis. Yeah, <laughs> that's our whole episode on on uh, on millennials. There you go. Nailed it. We we nailed like probably three three episodes in one one go here. Like we had like coronavirus, then then our liberal leadism. Now we now we're talking. yeah. You've been all over the place, no doubt. Jeez, <laughs> your your ADD is way up here today. <laughs> Mine's only like here. Talk yeah, exactly. Talk about not under control, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, wind up, wind down, man. I have a feeling Stephen has a lot to cut out right there. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna yell at us. Huh? Mm-hmm. All right. What are you looking forward to the next week, Sean? Um. Well, we get another Sea Wolves game. Looking forward to that. I am inching closer to a birthday, so I'm starting to kind of get excited about that because I actually think that. I'll get to do something this year for my birthday, uh, unlike last year where we were in lockdown. So the world's a little bit different place. Looking forward to, to that happening, although I'll probably get to talk to you all again before uh, my birthday. But getting there, you know, enjoyed last weekend. Got to kick Steven's ass in golf. It's not really true, but I'm just saying. But I did get to go out and golf for the first time in like two years, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and actually spent some time drinking and watching sports in a bar. So, you know, life little by little appears to be normalizing uh, in positive ways. And, you know, at the beginning, we talked about some of the negative ways. Yeah, that was uh, that was an experience, right? It was so loud. <laughs> it was so loud. Did you feel that way too? Like, I, yeah, I was, it was there so were times loud. where I was just overwhelmed. Like, my senses were just overwhelmed with everything yes. going on. And it was bright. It was bright yeah. as all hell, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, same with me. I, yeah, this last week, that was kind of the highlight. Even though, like, even though the Seawolves lost, like, like I was saying, like, just to sit there in a sports bar again with my, with people, 
other people that I know and to share in that common experience. Wow, you pulled back on friends pretty quickly there. Friends. The, okay, friends, yes. <laughs> Hanging out with yeah, my friends. somebody that fr- I know. Uh, fr- no, people I know. I hung out with people I know. Canceled. <laughs> yes, I was there with you, you guys and our friends. Yes, including my wife. It was a nice time. It was lovely. What are you looking forward to, Levon? What am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to finishing this series. Mm, I don't remember the name of it, but I remember it was Revisionist History. For all mankind. Revisionist History. Yeah, yeah I'm going to finish off that series. I'm actually going to pop it on when we're done here. <laughs> it's really good. It's on Apple TV. Yeah. So is it kind of, is it at all similar to like Man in the High Castle? Uh, not not particularly, but it is okay. like that alternate history sort of thing. So yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, yeah, and go from there. Hopefully another bright, loud pub again. <laughs> or the next, next week. Sounds like a plan to me. All right, then. All right, everybody. You have a good, safe week. Stay awesome, brilliant, and beautiful. All right. See you now.